There are worlds beyond our universe. An infinite variety of worlds, dimensions, and realities. But for all the differences, there are some things which seem common to all too many worlds. There are those who possess power. There are those who are victimized by tyrants. And there are those who would rebel against all tyranny. My name is Conrad, along with my co-host Drew, and welcome to the 33rd episode of Stranger by the Dozen, the weekly podcast where we recap the adventures of Dr. Stephen Strange, Master of the Mystic Arts, six issues at a time. How's it going this week, Drew? Oh, you know, pretty good, I guess. All right, you ready for the uh, assault on the Dark Dimension? Oh, you know I am. All right. You can find the show on iTunes, the Google Play Store, Stitcher, and on any fine podcast app. You can contact the podcast at strangerbythedozen at gmail.com or on Twitter at strangerbythe12, that's strangerbythe12, on Facebook or Instagram by searching for strangerbythedozen, or on our podcast network, sitecradaline.com. So network, so fancy. Yeah. It's a doge of uh, podcast network sites or something. Anyhow... (laughs) Before we get to the rebellion, Drew, we got to yeah. finish up this story from that we finished on last week um, from in uh, Marvel Fanfare number twenty. Right. So, just to recap, everybody, all right, you remember um, Ben Grimm, the Thing from the Fantastic Four? I am aware of him. Yes, Orange Rock Monster, Super Strong. Sounds familiar. Yeah, he's been uh, recruited by Doctor Strange to help him fight the evil wizard Xandu, who if, is... If memory, serves, if memory serves correctly, he was not exactly all that thrilled about the prospect of this. No, uh, he was uh, recruited against his will to help Doctor Strange in the fight against Xandu. Xandu will remember as a uh, longtime Doctor Strange villain. Uh, we fought him back in the 60s. Uh, with Spider-Man, these they've sort of crossed paths a, no, a, a number of times since then. In this case, Xandu, in his green sorcerer suit and monocle, had uh, stolen the or, the the Eye of Agamotto, Doctor Strange's amulet, and has wedded it to this thing called the Ruby of Domination. So, after um, beating up a bunch of demons and complaining the whole way. Ben Graham and Doctor Strange <laughs> returned to Earth. They found everybody there um, sort of trapped in a zombie-like state. And they saw that the um, Eye of Agamotto has been attached to the Ruby of Domination. Um, and it looks like so Xandu's got some crazy uh, plan involving the Eye and, and the Ruby. And one of Doctor Strange's defenders, pals, is here to protect him. And who do you think it is, Drew? Maybe a Valkyrie or a Gargoyle? Hellcat, maybe? Yeah, one of those guys. Nah, buddy, it's the Hulk. Oh. <laughs> There's some weird stuff going on with the timing of this issue, and we talked about this last week, too. Uh, yeah. Currently, the Hulk is completely mindless and wandering the crossroads of reality. Um, and this comic seems to take place in the present as opposed to some previous time when the Hulk had, like reason and a personality and stuff as opposed to just sort of punching things and going the way he does now right but they've decided not to uh set the story in the past and set in the present so just we're just going to go with it but basically you know the majority of this comic and the way it's sort of sold to retailers is that it's a uh, thing hulk fight and so that's really what it is, as opposed to sort of a Doctor Strange magicking thing story, essentially. It's um, the thing in the Hulk brawling around New York, just picking things up and throwing each other and, 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 and throwing them at each other. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, man, that's awesome. Like, if there's one thing I will always appreciate, it's a thing Hulk fight, unless it was a uh, Hulk Thor fight, in which case I would take that. I mean, Hulk Thor is, is better. Um, yeah. But ba- yeah, so, I mean. <laughs> It's hard to sort of recap the all the I mean to recap all the spots of this fight the way we do like in our uh, in my wrestling podcast but you know basically <laughs> like as Xandu and Doctor Strange sort of wizard fight Hulk and Thing sort of brawl around and while uh, Thing's certainly super strong he's not as strong as the Hulk and so 
the Hulk is sort of get, or so the thing is getting kind of increasingly like desperate in his fight against the Hulk, and he pulls a lot of like, um, like, all right, I've hit him as hard as I could, and like thrown a huge dumpster at him, like that should put, stop him for a while, and in, instead the Hulk just kind of gets back up and is like, now we're gonna really start fighting, basically. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, in the um, or as the fight progresses. It seems like the Hulk breaks free of Xandu's spell. Like he's no longer um, a mindless slave of Xandu. And he actually recovers some of his... Like, the, he, he, his, his regular personality resurfaces, which it shouldn't because, yeah. you know, he's actually Savage Hulk. But whatever. Um, sure. Okay. Let's not harp on it too much. For the for the purposes of the story, sure, why not? It's yeah. Fine. So Xandu's spell wears off and it becomes regular Hulk. The problem is that regular Hulk is pretty pissed that the thing's been punching him all these t- all this time and is not really accepting any excuses as to why that was occurring. So they continue fighting. <laughs> Meanwhile, back at the Sanctum Sanctorum, uh, Doctor Strange had started to prevail in his wizard fight against Xandu. But he gets caught by the by behind because Xandu stopped controlling the Hulk to start controlling Wong, and Wong basically breaks a vase over Doctor Strange's uh, head, oh, knocking Doctor Strange out. He's got a concussion again, man. You can't do that. He's gonna get the CTE, you know. Dude, like it's it's real bad. Like you you can't get constant concussions like week after week. It's just no. Especially because you're setting Doctor, yourself up for bad times. Especially because Doctor Strange is the one superhero who actually gets lasting damage from blows to the head. Apparently, uh. yeah. Like you know, Tony Stark could take like a two thousand foot fall and be fine. But yeah. Speaking of blows to the head, so the uh, the Hulk and the Hulk and thing uh, battle continues apace. You know, now it's instead of mind controlled Hulk, it's full on regular Hulk. You know, get Rock Man, Hulk Smash, all that stuff. Hulk try or Thing tries to like blast the Hulk with like some power lines. It doesn't work. Hulk escapes through the sewer, or Thing escapes through the sewer, and Hulk gives chase. Meanwhile, in the uh, in the Sanctum Sanctorum, it appears that Xandu's actually trying to join his consciousness with the orb, uh, with the uh, with the ruby of domination and the amulet of Agamotto. And I'm he sure does, that's going to end well for everyone involved. Hey man, if he if it works, he'll be the most powerful being in the universe. Sure, not even the gods will be able to resist his might. Mm. Meanwhile, in the sewers, uh, Thing and Hulk continue to fight. The Thing basically drops a city block on the Hulk and gets worried. Oh, geez, maybe I killed the Hulk by accident. Nah, he's fine. He katooms out of the rubble and continues fighting uh, the Thing. It, it's pretty fortuitous that like the city block he essentially destroyed was pretty much abandoned yeah all, everything's but, all boarded up and then these uh newscasters although they're frozen in place suddenly come back alive to assure everybody that in fact these buildings are abandoned uh batman superman I that, style i find that hard to believe there has to be like a hobo or two in there I, you know i mean i'd say whatever but we saw in the previous marvel fanfare that ben grimm's actually pretty um it worried about the state of um, bums and or homeless people in uh, New York City, but yeah, anyhow, like, like homeless okay. people and their cats and their dogs and like their carts. They spent a lot of time putting those carts together, man. Yeah, no shade. They're cool. Right. Meanwhile, um, the thing is basically done with this fight. He says, "Like I quit," <laughs> and just sort of starts doing machinations to make the Hulk leave him alone. Like he lures him out onto a pier and then sort of sneaks back around him and like sinks the hulk and the pier under a bunch of like heavy stuff so he'll have trouble getting out just because he's underwater and stuff meanwhile dr strange calls ben Grimm and is like hey you need to get back here like stop stop fooling around with the hulk like we need you to actually do something important (laughs) you know um so you know the thing makes his way he like basically steals a cab because so i don't know if i mentioned this but the ruby the ruby of domination is everybody frozen in place um except for like the one person that xandu can control remotely so like the thing goes to the cab the cat and, and the taxi driver is um frozen so he like pulls the guy out of the car and the thing drives off tries to make his way to the sanctum as he does um the thing 
jumps on top of the car and, and or the Hulk jumps on the top of the car and the thing is like, geez, like just leave me alone, Hulk. I'm just trying to save the world, all right? And Hulk's like, no, smash. In the end, they end up fighting across the rooftops of New York and somehow actually make their way to the building that's next door to the Sanctum Sanctorum. You know, 185 Bleecker Street or something like that. How fortuitous. It's pretty awesome. This is as um, Zandu is just about to put his consciousness into the ruby. There's only one thing to be done, and that's goad the Hulk into football tackling you so that the two of you go flying off the rooftop you're in um, across the alley and through the big window of the Sanctum Sanctorum into the study where Xandu's doing his evil magic. Easy peasy. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Hulk, uh, so the thing shows up, he rushes out and punches the ruby right in the face. Yeah. (laughs) Which... Um, renders Xandu's spells uh, broken for a moment. Doctor Strange is able to restrain him. And, you know, Hulk keeps fighting the thing. And and the thing just like, Ah, get off me! I'm trying to have, have a night off! As Xandu kind of looks at the broken shards of his ruby and is like, Oh, my poor ruby! Oh, it's sad! It's hard not to feel bad for Xandu sometimes, you know? I don't know. I don't really feel sorry for Zandu. I mean, he's trying to take over constantly, but he always loses real fast. Like, you know, I feel like this two-issue arc is the closest he's come to winning in the course of a couple pages, as I've ever seen him do. Well, as we all know, evil never wins. That's true. I mean, well, except for that one time, but... Uh, Well, yeah, we're not going to... Let's not talk about that one. Eventually. No, no, we saw... We've seen that one time already. Um, I don't want to talk about that issue, though. Um, Oh, come on. No, no, not that one. Talk about the future. The far-flung future. (laughs) So, um, Doctor Strange charms the thing and freezes him in place. He uh, banishes Xandu to an alternate dimension, where he'll figure out what to do with him later. And to make it up to the thing, he's like, Hey, so, I know you've had a rough night. How about this, uh... I'm remotely uh, moving around the bath, the bathing facilities in the Baxter building and drawing you a nice hot bath. So I'm going to teleport you to your nice hot bath. I'm going to teleport the Hulk to the desert and then back to the uh, crossroads of reality. So, you know, you can still still relax and enjoy the rest of the night. Uh, Doctor Strange casts the spells, but (laughs) he's like, oh, that mystic combat with Xandu really wore me out. Um, I hope I don't. I hope uh, I'm still able to keep my spells straight and stuff for the next couple hours. And it turns out that he hasn't, as the thing teleport, as the thing has teleported to the desert where the Hulk was gonna be. And he's oh, like, "Oh man, I hate Utah, Utah of all places. Oh. I hate magicians. I hope the Hulk's enjoying my bath." The Hulk, presumably Savage Hulk, now destroying everything that exists in the Baxter building until he's caught by its automated defenses. Yeah. <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> Marvel Fanfare 21. I thought it was a pretty fun story of just sort of uh, the two big, you know, two of the big bruisers in the Marvel Universe, like, punching the crap out of each other. Sometimes yeah. you just need two big guys of non-standard coloring, in this case green and orange, to beat the crap out of each other. And that's a good oh, comic yeah. book, you know? For sure. <laughs> but let's get to the meat of this issue, Drew. Enough of these appetizers. Yeah, enough of that. Let's get, let's get on to the good stuff. Yeah, we go to Doctor Strange 71 from June 1985, Into the Dark Dimension. Roger Stern writer, Paul Smith artist, John Workman letterer, Bob Sharon colorist, Carl Potts editor, Jim Shooter editor-in-chief. So this issue starts off pretty coolly with a, uh, a history of the Dark Dimension, basically. Like a, you know, a semi-recent history of the Dark Dimension, if you don't count the fact that part of it takes a thousand years. But, um... <laughs> eh, yeah. So, the Dark time, Dimension... Time is entirely relative. It's true. Yeah. So, uh, the Dark Dimension used to just be kind of a regular old dimension. Um, it had a ruler named Olnar and a bunch of um, 
magical lords and stuff. One day, a, a, a pair of uh, magician guys, a brother and sister from the fabled dimension of the Falatine show up. And they promise to help Olnar become the, a powerful king. Uh, this brother and sister, I don't have to tell you, are named Dormammu and Umar. Oh. Yeah. So they help out Olnar in his conquest. They start basically it's kind of an interesting concept of this one dimension that like conquers other dimensions and then folds those dimensions into into their own making it like a larger and more powerful dimension mm -hmm. um the problem is that one day they come across the dimension of the mindless ones you know the big kind of rocky um cyclops visored eyed guys <laughs> that are sort of I'm, a constant I'm, I'm i'm familiar with them yes yes that are a constant threat in the dark dimension um, kind of like ants, just like, oh man, mindless ones, I thought we sprayed. They're like ants if ants were super strong and fired deadly beams and were maybe 12 feet tall each. <laughs> um, oh, speaking of uh, 12 foot tall ants, check out uh, Ant Wars in Space Spinner 2000, my uh, 2080 podcast, coming soon. Oh, cross promotion. A <laughs> lot of cross promotion. Anyhow. <laughs> um, so, so, so Umar and Dormammu sort of end up being the new rulers of this dimension. The lords of magic try to um, try to object, but Dormammu basically, but Dormammu and Umar basically uh, seal their voices away, like as punishment. And then they use their powers to erect um, the shield that protects the dark dimension from the mindless ones. You know, kind of a, a, as you do. Right. In the process of this, um, Umar is injured, and the official line is that uh, for her to heal, she's like uh, hidden away. But in fact, sort of Dormammu banishes her to, um, you know, not mess with his rise to power. That's messed up. Yeah, it's good, you know. Um, but so Dormammu's sort of the the baseline power in this, or becomes sort of the ruler of the dark dimension. Um, Ol Olnar's children are too young, so he sort of declares himself regent. And then he calls on, like, the flames of magic that are sort of unstable in the dimension to rise higher and wreathe him. And these become his, like, flames of regency, as he calls them. From this moment forward, they mark the ruler of this realm, and thus Dormammu becomes the lord of the dark dimension which is why he sort of transfers from a sort of human dude to the fire dude that we know him uh, to this day. Right. And thus, we sort of we sort of break to the present. It turns out that this whole story is being told by, like, a, uh, a school teacher in the Dark Dimension to a bunch of Dark Dimension kids. And, like, I kind of like the idea of, like, the folded universe explaining why the Dark Dimension has all of these, like, cosmopolitan, all these weird different races, so it's kind of cosmopolitan and stuff. Like there's all the like there's you know there's humans and there's bat dudes and there's cyclopses and stuff like that and it's all just because it's a bunch of different religion uh, or a bunch of different dimensions smashed together. Yeah, man, the dark dimension's a pretty diverse place. Yeah. So as this happens, sort of Umar shows up at like the school and is like, oh, like you kids, you're the hope of the future. I appreciate your good kiddishness, you know. <laughs> and we sort of see that she's got got the. Uh, the flames of regency around her head too that means she's in charge and she warns the kids of dr strange and the evil world that he comes from called earth and there's like some it's, pretty okay you see this man this man is full of lies yeah inform on him tell your parents earth is an evil place and there's sort of a of a, a fade into like the uh the Sanctum Sanctorum, and it's a bunch of, like, people on the street, and it's a bunch of, like, um, pimps and muggers with guns and bloody knives and, like, women with a lot of facial scars and stuff like that. It's like, so, standard Saturday night in New York, then? I mean, I'd say it's not un... I mean, I wasn't super around in New York in 1985, but I don't think it's super different. I'll say that much. <laughs> <laughs> so... We flash to the real Sanctum Sanctorum, which appears to have not quite as many pimps out front. And we find uh, Morgana Blessing, Doctor Strange's girlfriend, of course. 
knocking on the door, being like, hey, we have a lunch date. And Sarah Wolf, Dr. Strange's business manager, answers the door and is like, oh, geez, um, sorry, he can't uh, come and have lunch with you because he's in seclusion preparing for his assault on uh, the Dark Dimension. Uh, Sarah sort of takes Morgana down to the basement of the Dark Dimension, I think. Or maybe not the basement, but a basement. <laughs> Where TARDIS style, there's like giant doors and then a, a room that's like the size of a, of, a, of a basketball stadium, basically. Yeah, man. Uh, like, the, the Sanctum Sanctorum really has like non-Euclidean physics just going on everywhere. It's very tardis <laughs> Yeah. <clears throat> So, in this room, Doctor Strange is standing underneath a big yellow bubble. It's just him, the Cloak of Levitation, the amulet of the uh, the Eye of Agamotto, and uh, his uh, super tights, like Doctor Strange is shirtless, because this episode's for the ladies. Oh, uh, yeah. But basically, Doctor Strange is in this bubble, uh, purifying him, or purging himself of any mystic auras that he might have sort of from Earth. He's basically in decontamination so that when he makes his assault on the dark dimension he won't be easily tracked we see that like his hair's all grown out and he's like uh got a five o'clock shadow and stuff and he basically says like all right i'm gonna head out to the dark dimension you guys be cool i'll be back in a long time and everybody's like um all right i guess you know have fun storming the castle and he kind of and, and he disappears Meanwhile, uh, you know, Sarah and Morgana go out for coffee and Wong stays behind as he sort of moons over um, Sarah Wolf. He's apparently promised Doctor Strange that he'll explain to Sarah why he can't date her. Finally. God. Just, Wong, you're killing me, buddy. <laughs> so, Doctor Strange with his disguised aura uh, goes to a, a, neutral, a, a zone between realities and he realizes that as well as masking his aura he's got to have a disguise and stuff so he um, like takes a, uh, a tree branch and hollows it out and hides the cloak of levitation in there and then puts on a mystic robe and makes his way into the dark dimension meanwhile in the dark dimension in a secret rebel base among the mindless ones uh Clea is interrogating her father, Orini, the um, head of Umar's guard. And she finds that his mental defenses are too powerful for her. And she like tries to, you know, magically interrogate him. And she hits his defenses and just bounces right off, you know? Right. And Orini's like, ha, you'll never defeat me because, you know, I'm loyal to Umar. And Umar's right and you rebels are wrong. That usual stuff. You're the rebels are wrong because umar said they were wrong yeah well you know i mean there's got to be a balance of power <laughs> we cut to um one of the to like the cities of the dark dimension which is kind of interesting we haven't really seen a lot of the um of like day-to-day -day life in the dark dimension previously it's always just you know it's still a bunch of floating islands but now it's floating islands with like cities on top of them in different di you know in different directions to each other and stuff it looks like uh, people can live here as opposed to previous ones where it's just been uh, crazy Steve Ditko, uh, you know, modern art impressionism and stuff, but not really a place where like, oh yeah, that's my house, you know? Yeah. So in a city where, so there's a city, it's got, it's, you know, it's, it's full on Maz Eisley with all the different um, alien peoples and monsters and stuff walking around including uh, one of the orange-robed outcasts who were sort of once the lords of the Dark Dimension. But then um, when Dormammu came to power, he like magically made them unable to speak, and so now they just kind of wander the earth and people don't like them. Uh, as the... As the outcast wanders the street, we see, like, holographic signs saying, if you've seen Doctor Strange, like, report him to the authorities. Because and he's full of lies. Yeah. And then a bunch of rebels come running down the street. Oh, yeah. They're sort of booking down this thoroughfare, shouting their various rebel uh, rebellious slogans, you know, uh, throw off your bonds, defy Umar down with umar snuff the flame and stuff like that <laughs> so we got these rebels they're on the run from the guards 
the guards chase them into a into a into like a, a dead end, and then suddenly the rebels summon more of their buddies, and it's an ambush. But then the guards themselves also have a bunch of backup guards, so it's like an ambush of the ambush, and things look bad for the rebels until the out until the outcast uh, shows up and starts smacking people with his magic staff and doing hand to hand combat and stuff. Um, the rebels are like, oh, what's going on with that guy? But there's no time to waste. They escape through their rebel underground network using their code, uh, the Pepsi generation. Like, who's there? The Pepsi generation. <laughs> Which is pretty funny, I think. Uh, they just, you know, Clay has got everybody using pop culture terminology basically as a way to, um, as their passwords, just because no one knows, uh, you know, no one in the reality of the dark dimension understands what it means to say uh call now operators are standing by or whatever so the you know the rebels make their way back to the rebel base in the rebel base they're sort they they debrief they're like oh yeah we sort of did our plan but then an outcast guy showed up and helped us and that's really weird like we should try to figure out what was going on with that guy and contact him and then suddenly the outcast appears in the in rebel hq and it's like that is arranged that is easily arranged i am here and uh you'll be shocked to know drew that yeah. this outcast guy suddenly involving it? himself in rebel who activities who is it dr stephen strange oh man i didn't see that coming <laughs> who would have thunk it but apparently he's been on the he's been on the move for like a, a couple months or something his hair's grown grown out to i'd say like uh, keanu reeves and john wick levels he's got oh, yeah. a full he's got a full beard and like apparently the, the goatee section of his beard is white which is kind of interesting oh it looks pretty red yeah so dr strange reveals himself and is like uh hey clea you know so <laughs> And she's also like, uh, you know, sup, and and they hug, and that's kind of the end of the ep- of the uh, of the episode of of the issue, as it looks like Doctor Strange is now taking part in the rebellion, and that takes us quickly to Doctor Strange seventy two from August nineteen eighty four, Secret Origin. Roger Stern writer, Paul Smith artist, Jim Novak letterer, Bob Sharon colorist, Carl Potts editor, Jim Shooter editor in chief. So okay, it's it's rebellion time, Drew. It is. Yeah, man. We start really? with some minions of Umar um, collecting taxes, but it it seems like taxes is them basically. Um, if you can't like pay money or something they throw a green a, a magical green sphere at you which like uh sucks your soul out basically and then they kind of use the soul's magical energy to power umar's magic i guess this is very futurama isk i mean you know Just throwing that out there it's like hey you don't want to pay your taxes you can go spend a weekend with the pain monster could be so in this case <laughs> it just sort of happens they just sort of suck out your soul and stuff anyhow the the rebels attack and are like, nah, this won't be. Let's uh, fight these guys and take them down. <laughs> so they steal all the taxes or all the tributes and the people and, and, and the crowd around sort of where the taxes are being taken are sort of a mix of like, hey, you rebels are jerks. Like, those are the taxes that keep our country running. <laughs> Combined with people being like, uh, bless you guys stealing the taxes and stuff. So, very mixed um, emotions within the crowd. And I'll note that unlike sort of a Robin Hood situation where you're stealing gold from the rich and then giving it to the poor, these guys are taking stolen souls and then using them for their own purposes. Mm. I don't trust these revolutionaries, Drew. (laughs) Yeah, this seems kind of bad. Like, they kind of take the souls and kind of drove up. They don't, like, be like, all right, and now all the souls are free. Everybody take your soul back. No, they keep going. Uh, that seems like a problem to me. Yeah. So they can. So the rebels return to base, enter the uh, the shell by saying, uh, "Yo, Ad- you know, um, Yo, Adrian, it's me, Rocky," and everybody like celebrates a successful mission. And meanwhile, um, you know, Doctor Strange marvels at how Clay has really changed and become a competent rebel leader. You know. Meanwhile, back in reality, uh, Wong sort of. After some uh, soul searching, goes to Sarah Wolf and basically says, uh, "Hey, I gotta tell you something. Um, I really like you. 
and I'd love to go out with you, but the problem is that I'm promised to another. Wong's engaged to someone else, y'all. What? Yeah. Apparently, meanwhile, Umar's watching this on her magic uh, cauldron or whatever, and it's like, Doctor Strange is not on Earth, and that means he must be here. I must find him. Um, at the same time, back at the Rebel base, Doctor Strange um, basically asks, asks permission to interrogate Orini. Like, maybe he has some moves to break through his mental defenses that Clea doesn't. Uh, she eventually agrees if Doctor Strange sort of does so with the help of her chief lieutenant, uh, Ral, R-A-H-L, who um, I think may be the inspiration of the, of, the, of the bad guy or, you know, the guys in the Sword of Truth books. But who am I to say what Terry Goodkind is uh, inspired by? Mm. But Doctor Strange whaps Arini with the eye from the Orb of Agamotto. It's light in its light. No, no lie can withstand. And so we get Aurelia spill the to spill the beans about um, all the troop movements and things like that um, of Umar's forces because he was the captain of the guard and stuff. And then we learn the final truth that yep, one. I think this is an interesting one. Um, Orini is actually the grown son of Olnar, the previous king of the Dark Dimension before Dormammu and Umar came. But then also the final truth that Umar is in fact Clea's mother. Whoa! What? Yeah, man. Clea's Umar's daughter. It's terrible. And, you know, it freaks everybody out. Doctor Strange tells her and Clea freaks out a little bit. Um, there's a very kind of Hunger Games moment where everybody starts to talk about propaganda and how, like, well, actually, uh, if Clea is Umar's daughter and she's the granddaughter of the initial ruler of the realm, uh, Olnar, then that gives her, gives her a claim to the Dark Dimension that is pretty solid. And we could kind of actually, like, legally say, like, hey, like, you know, she's got a, a right to be queen or something. And Clea's like, no, that's not what I, what we're up to. We're trying to, um, we're, we're going for freedom, not a different ruler of the Dark Dimension. Although, this will change quickly. <laughs> so, Clea sends all the rebels out to raid one of Umar's caravans. And while they're out there, she, uh, Clea confronts Oridi and removes his, and removes his bonds. Uh, he immediately attacks her and things look bad. Meanwhile, the rebels attack the caravan, and the caravan's full of, instead of goods, Umar's goons. Along with the goons, they have a, a magic cloak. Inside the magic cloak is this kind of uh, gross Tentacle octopus. Yeah. Squid thingy. Yeah. Octopus anemone, I want to say, that yeah. grabs them all, pulls them into an alternate reality. Or almost all of them, except for Doctor Strange, who gets teleported away and is taken to the home of the outcasts, the guys who wear orange robes and were the previous rulers of the Dark Dimension, but now can't speak. They communicate to Doctor Strange through telepathy, and they basically say, uh, hey, like, you being part of the rebellion is really blowing up our spot. Uh, stop, stop dressing like us. You're a jerk. <laughs> Meanwhile, and we end this issue with Umar sitting on her throne and Orini arriving. Uh, um, he, with Umar sitting on a throne, hearing that all the rebels have been captured by the uh, squid monsters of the caravan, and Orini arriving at her doorstep, holding Clea in his arms. Things are looking bad. Looks real bad. But like real, real bad. Yeah, but we swiftly yeah. go to. Doctor Strange 73 from October 1985. Final triumph. Roger Stern writer, Paul Smith layouts, Terry Austin finishes, Joe Rosen letterer, Bob Sharon colorist, Carl Potts editor, Jim Shooter editor-in-chief. So, we kind of start with uh, Umar gloating, like she's captured the rebels, she's captured Doc uh, she's captured Clea. It's just a matter of finding Doctor Strange, and that's and then she'll have everything. Right. Uh, the outcasts are like, hey, we should probably like turn you over or something. You're a jerk. 
we've lost all of our power and we can't fight back. We're just outcasts. Umar can't be stopped. And Doctor Strange is like, hey, man, like you guys are a bunch of quitters. And I don't, I don't want to dress up like a bunch of loser quitters. He takes off his robes and shatters his staff upon the ground. Um, he casts a spell. Winds of Watum, build at thunder. Sweep these wretches from my sight. Split all guises now asunder with your elemental might. And he's back to full Doctor Strange mode. Got the amulet, got the cloak of levitation, uh, got the sweet beard and the long hair. No shirt. Doctor Strange yep. doing, his, doing, his, doing his crunches. Got the abs. He's ready to go. It's, it's shirtless Strange. For the ladies. I mean, you know, I think everybody can appreciate it to an extent, but yeah. definitely for the ladies. <laughs> Meanwhile, Dude, ripped, yeah, definitely. He's at least as ripped as that one time the Ancient One came back to life and was super ripped and was like, oh, wait yeah. a minute, isn't this guy an old man? <laughs> so back at the uh, palace of Umar, you know, Umar is super gloating. Um, <laughs> she's got Clea... Um, wrapped in a big green cocoon thing and all the rebels are are cocooned in more sort of conventional cocoons by the uh by the squid monster which is just weird yeah sort of in basically the prison in the basement of the palace and she kind of just explains her uh explains the story you know or you know she sort of gloats and is like yes now i'll be unopposed as soon as i get dr strange meanwhile at the uh at the at the um, at the front door of the palace of Umar, which is this big doorway with a huge red stone monster on it, that's got like a huge eye and stuff. We've seen this guy before, the um, the Grathic Guardian. I think previously in a previous fight, he um, was able to like suck a bunch of power out of Doctor Strange, and the only way that he was able to overcome it was by like melding with the earth with Clea. It was a big thing, but. Um, <laughs> The outcasts have arrived with a Doctor Strange bound and gagged, which is kind of funny. Um, just like he has this big speech about, like, uh, screw you guys, I'm about to fight back. And then the next scene is him actually instead uh, bound and gagged and being presented to Umar. It's very uh, Game of Thrones style, like, uh, or a very Theon Greyjoy in Game of Thrones. Like, oh, I, yeah, made a totally. big, I made a big speech and then I'm immediately um, in a much worse position, you know? But when the uh, the Guardian scans Doctor Strange, it turns out that his um, robes or his uh, his chains were just an illusion. And instead, he starts blasting everybody. The the uh, Orbivagamata lets him overcome the Guardian, and then he and the outcasts who have been inspired to his side start raiding the castle. Nice. Yeah, they get a message from Clea as they do so telling them like hey here's the way to the basement where all the uh, all the other rebels are being held and here's where we get a much more traditional view of the dark dimension where it's just a bunch of like open space with a bunch of eyes and portals and other things sort of floating around twisting dimensional bits yeah it's very traditional yeah. dark dimension so <laughs> At this point, Umar sort of gets word that Doctor Strange and everybody is um, are attacking the palace. It's a bunch of outcasts and Doctor Strange. Um, Umar's like, what I would have sent Doctor Strange if he was near unless someone's hiding him from me. But only Clea could do that. And Clea's caught in this, coco in this uh, green, so uh, green emerald cocoon thing. And Orini's like, maybe not, uh, Umar. And then we realize that, dun-dun-dun, <laughs> Orini's the one inside the, the, green, the uh, green cocoon thing. Oh, snap. And the person who's pretending to be uh, Orini has been Clea the whole time. Oh, no. Oh, dang. <laughs> so, Clea and Umar begin their big wizard fight. As in the basement of the uh, of the palace, <laughs> Doctor Strange finds the rebels and t gets them out of their cocoons too. So now everybody's fighting. As Clea and Umar's fight wears on, Clea empowers a gem that's lying around in Umar's uh, throne room. And we've seen Umar use this gem previously to send like big holographic messages to the entire uh, dark dimension. 
So Clea activates it, and then as she fights Umar, she basically gets Umar talking and does that sort of classic thing where you overthrow the evil ruler by getting them to sort of say, like, all the people in Springfield are jerks uh, <laughs> into, like, a tape recorder or a live mic or something like that. I've never seen this happen before. Certainly not in, like, you know, The Simpsons or Full Metal Alchemist. Or in everything? <laughs> in everything. Yeah, ironically, doesn't actually work in real life, we found out. But whatever. <laughs> uh, um, so, basically, Umar says, like, you're going pretty good fighting me, Clea, but I can draw extra power by by siphoning it off from the barriers that protect everybody from the mindless ones. And if people are like, oh, but the mindless ones attack, I can just blame it on you because you're evil rebels and I'll kill you soon. And she also she says she also gets power. So she, so she she has stores of power in two places. One is the barrier of the mindless one, and two is the power she gains from the her the belief in the people of her rightful rule. So uh, huh. basically, Clea and Umar are having this big wizard fight that's projected in the skies all over the dark dimension as all the rebels start to break free from the throne room and eventually or from the jail and make their way to the throne area where they're fighting clea tells dr strange like hey i can handle umar all right you guys get out there and deal with the mindless ones oh mindless ones i thought we sprayed for those no way man not when not when not when um umar's basically opening the door and just putting a whole bunch of breadcrumbs all over the kitchen floor. You know, that's how you get ants and or mindless Dude, ones. <laughs> do, you, do you want mindless ones? Because this is how you get mindless ones. Exactly. So as the mindless ones attack the um, attack like a city, uh, the the outcasts and Doctor Strange and all the rebels start like fighting them and beating them off and sort of re repairing the force bridge. There's kind of a fun moment where Doctor Strange recalls his first fight with Dormammu and how he only won because Dormammu weakened the barriers and the mindless ones attacked and then he had to aid Dormammu in sealing them back up which I think it's kind of and, and now he's like but now I'm able to almost do it all myself because I've become a, a much more powerful sorcerer since then that's right because he, he's shirtless strange oh yeah oh yeah man you couldn't man back in 1962 you couldn't be this shirtless you know, <laughs> or yeah. 1964, I guess. But you know what I mean. <laughs> Back in Strange Tales number 127, episode two of this very podcast. Oh, my gosh. Oh, man, that's a heck of a throwback. It's like super, super a thousand years ago. Uh, but so the people of the Dark Dimension basically see the rebels helping them as Umar has endangered them. And just her generally just being very super evil in the fight with Clea. A lot of like, you know, the people are just pawns and worms beneath my feet and stuff like that, you know? Um, she kind of real and uh, the towns and all the townspeople now, as opposed to being sort of uh, divided as they were before, are full on like, you know, down with Umar, snuff her flame, stuff like that. And back in the throne room, Umar feels her power seeping and sees that the gem's been on this whole time. And it's like, oh, no, you've thwarted me with the oldest trick in the book. I've As never she seen this trick happen before, ever. It's because Umar isn't familiar with 20th century uh, television and cinema, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so they fight, and there's a huge explosion of power throughout the realm. And suddenly, the outcasts are able to speak the spell cast on them is broken and we finally projected in the sky see umar crumpled on the ground and standing over her clea her hands smoking for magical energy her head aflame as she now wears the flames of regency dr strains stands up uh says it best um Umar has fallen, and the flames of Regency, the mantle of her power, have at last fallen upon the rightful ruler of the Dark Dimension. Long may she reign. And I said, man, that's the assault on the Dark Dimension. Pretty awesome, right? That's pretty awesome. Umar taken down. Clay is now the queen of the Dark Dimension. It's good times. Doctor Strange is rocking a, a sick-looking beard. 
Yeah, it's super cool. Yeah, everybody's as cool. Everybody's in their coolest form right now. Yeah. <laughs> Which takes us to Doctor Strange number 74 from December 1985. And now, The Beyonder. Uh, Peter B. Gillis, writer. Mark Badger, art. Joe Rosen, letters. Bob Sharon, colors. Carl Potts, editor. Jim Shooter, editor-in-chief. So there's sort of two parts of this issue, Drew. And let's deal with one half, and then I'll give you the backstory for the second part. All right? All right. So the first part's pretty quick. Um, we're back of the dark dimension in the aftermath of Clea being uh, crowned queen. Everybody's hailing her, and it's good times. Um, Mark Badger kind of draws the flame of Regency on Clea's head a little weird, and just a, a way that makes her look less like her head's wreathed in flame, and makes her more look like kind of a birthday candle. I'd say I don't think I like it as much. It just kind of looks like the top of her head is on fire. Yeah, yeah, like a birthday candle. I don't know, yeah. but um. <laughs> Like, if you had a Doctor Strange birthday cake and it had a Clea figure, this is what it it would look like. Um, yes, absolutely. But so, uh, Doctor Strange is getting a shave and a haircut. He's Aww. he's found a shirt but not sleeves for it. And he's getting oh. ready to head out. Dude, sun's out. Gun's out. Always. Yeah. So, like... <laughs> Clay is sort of thinking about what to do with her father, with her mom and dad, the evil Umar and Orini. Um, she sort of reveals her, like, the uh, the barber and stuff, like, kind of make a side comment. And they're like, oh, geez, we said something in front of the queen. Now she's going to kill us. And uh, Clay is like, hey, I'm a, I'm a good guy, queen. I don't kill people out of hand to show that I'm evil, you know? And they're like, oh, wow, that's a relief. I can't believe it. Uh, in the end... Um, Doctor Strange and Clea decide to banish Arini and Umar sort of beyond the dimension of time, essentially. Mm. Like, you know, break the, uh, break the dark below the light, sunder world and tremble might. Watum's wind and icons seeming cast these ones but beyond all dreaming, out beyond the pale of power until doomsday strikes the hour. And it's pretty good. I think it's a good spell. Uh, yeah, Umar, solid. Umar won't be back till 1990, so I think it works pretty well, I guess. That's, that seems to be pretty effective. It's yeah. a good five years. So. Five yeah. years is pretty good for eternal banishment. Um, yeah. <laughs> anyhow, uh, Clea sort of makes a case of Doctor Strange to stay and like be her consort, basically. They make out for a second. Um, but as they do, a mysterious pair of eyes appear watching over them dr strange kind of blasts them and is like oh my god these eyes are super powerful i gotta they, they're fading before my magical power but i gotta investigate these eyes and that sort of basically is an example of sorcerer supreme stuff i have to do on earth so i can't stay here and you know spent and uh just sit next to you on the throne and kind of us do it as royals you know that's not the, that's not our path <laughs> <laughs> um so you know dr strange heads out he's like hey like maybe that Rao guy could maybe you could date that Rao guy i noticed when you left you told me i should date morgana blessing all presumptuously so turnabout's fair play uh, <laughs> and dr strange sort of trap well, i mean he doesn't actually say that that's my implication of it if you if you must know but i think it's i think it's it's reasonable it's a reasonable assumption <laughs> Doctor Strange follows the magical trail of the eyes um, through the walls of dimensions and finds out that it takes him back to the Second Sanctorum back home on Earth, which doesn't seem super cool, I guess. He enters the Sanctum and he finds Wong and Sarah in a trance, frozen-like statues. And when he frees them magically, they sort of tell the tale of a dude with a mullet showing up being all presumptuous magically uh shoot uh you know magicking them up or i don't know maybe cosmic powering them up i guess might be a better term and sure. then just gazing into the eye of uh, the uh orb of agamotto the big globe thing that dr strange uses for surveillance purposes and stuff seeing that he saw far too much and then running off in a panic Sort of so caught up, Doctor Strange switches to full Doctor Strange costume with the sleeves and the gloves and the sash and stuff, and heads out to investigate who this uh, mullet guy is. Leaving uh, Wong and Sarah to sit in their 
awkwardest of silences. It's a, uh, it's so awkward that they they mention it in the narration box as he flies off. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Conscious of the gap that yawns between them in silence. But so Doctor Strange follows the trail to a bar, and in the bar, getting drunk, he finds the Beyonder. Oh, Beyonder, so, buddy, what are you doing? So. Man, the Beyonder's hard to explain, but basically, there was this thing called Secret Wars in like the early '80s. It was uh, all the most popular Marvel characters were brought to an alternate dimension to fight it out, <laughs> sort of in a tie-in to a uh, to a toy line that Marvel was trying to release. The fights were orchestrated by a all-powerful extra-dimensional being called the Beyonder. Story is probably most famous because that's where Spider-Man got his black costume that would turn into Venom. Anyhow, mm. mm-hmm. in Secret Wars 2, like a year or two later, I think, the Beyonder came to Earth and fought a bunch of guys and blah, blah, blah. And then after the big fight, started wandering the Earth to learn more about humanity and being a, a person and stuff like that. The most famous part of this uh, process to me is definitely in an episode of Spider-Man where uh, Spider, where the Beyonder sort of talks to Spider-Man about being a regular human. He eats a lot. He learns how to eat food, and then Spider-Man has to teach him how to go to the bathroom. <laughs> That's canonical. He takes the, the Beyonder, walks into the uh, into the into the lavatory, or you know, into the bathroom in Spider-Man's apartment. Spider-Man's like, uh, "Are you okay in there?" And then the Beyonder walks out and says, "It is completed. I have pooped." Exactly. Yes. So now he's he's putting that knowledge of um, eating and drinking to good use by getting drunk at a bar, kind of gets in a bar fight you know the bartender cuts him off because he's drank way too much and he's getting sloppy the bouncers you, okay you gotta you gotta run before you can walk yep yeah. the uh, the bouncers try to stop him the uh the beyonder throws him through the window and the bartender's like hey man i didn't know you were a superhero like you can drink all you want just don't kill us all dr strange shows up and it's like hey man like beyonder like you're a big jerk and i don't appreciate your jerkiness dude you're, you're getting sloppy drunk man maybe yeah. you should like you know knock it off <laughs> so dr strange sort of talks to the beyonder and he kind of tries to say like hey you shouldn't be a jerk and the Beyonder's like why shouldn't i be a jerk you know like and the dr strange decides to like sort of try to teach him right and wrong or how to be like a good person basically he does this by the mo- in the most classic dr strange way which is by recounting his origin story <sighs> and the Beyonder basically walks through like a hall of presidents, uh, or what I, was, what I want to call a hall of presidents of the Doctor Strange background. He kind of meets venial rich Doctor Strange and drunk, my hands are broken Doctor Strange, which leads him to uh, skeptical. I don't believe in this magic as I stand in the temple of the magic of the uh, of the ancient one Doctor Strange. To please ancient one, let me learn magic as a ruse to to teach you that Mordo is actually going to betray you and then Doctor Strange actually becoming a magical guy. In the process of this, I feel like the Beyonder picks up a lesson about like being selfless or trying to go out of his way to help people and do better as a all-powerful God being than he has been doing previously and he sort of flies away. And Doctor Strange is like, well, I hope I helped him. Because that guy's just a loaded gun walking around doing whatever. But I still have hope because I'm Doctor Strange. And sometimes I'm kind of (laughs) dumb. But that brief, um, that brief dip of a toe into full-on Marvel continuity leads us to Doctor Strange number 75 from February 1986. Souls in Torment. Roger Stern writer, Sal Buscema layouts. Mark Badger, finished art, Joe Rosen, letterer, Bob Sharon, colorist, Carl Potts, editor, Jim Shooter, editor-in-chief. This is the last Doctor Strange written by by uh, Roger Stern, who's been with us for a long time, actually. Yeah, he's since been it, around for a while now. Like, at least since the 50s. Like, he, he um, and before then, too, like, I, I think in the 40s, at least, of Doctor Strange. Um, 
he's been really he's written a lot of really cool stuff he's been really responsible for grow, for growing Clea and Wong as characters I think which I think is really cool um, and it's sad to see him go you know yeah we're gonna have the, uh, the for, we're about to have um, Peter Gillis who wrote the last story do Doctor Strange stuff and Doctor Strange and I think his stuff is underrated I think it's there's he, he has some interesting stories too but he's gonna we're gonna be with Gillis through to um the end of the of this doctor strange solo project um solo comic and then into when he becomes part of the the uh, strange tales anthology so this issue which is sort of roger strange last and kind of a throwaway i think like it's not like a great comic and as we'll see it doesn't tell a huge story because a ton of it uh, or i'd say like the first five or six pages of it is a recap from those Doctor Strange fantastic from those Fantastic Four comics we we read last week, right when he was fighting Mephisto. Yeah, when he was fighting Mephisto and Reed and Sue Richards were in hell, and so was Franklin Richards, and Franklin Richards was in a crystal, and Doctor Strange magicked Franklin out of the crystal, and then Franklin took down Mephisto with eye beams. Right. Yeah. This is basically. Oh, a recap of that, which like I don't appreciate Roger Stern horning in on my game of recapping Doctor Strange stories. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, we basically see it from a slightly different view. In the end, you know, Franklin Richards eye blasts Mephisto and the guys escape. What we didn't see last time was in the aftermath of that, after they all escaped from hell and hell started sort of erupting and having some problems because Mephisto was defeated. A, um giant like figure made out of volcanic rock and ash crawled free of like a volcano and fought her way through um through the denizens of hell and eventually escaping through the outer fringes of hades which takes us to several weeks later with dr strange back in uh, the sanctum sanctorum and sarah wolf kind of doing math and she's say really fast Go ahead. Doctor Strange grew, grew that like really a uh, bomb beard in seven like several weeks. Yeah, that's impressive. He's a, he's a grower, dude. He's got to yeah. shave all the time. Jeez, that's why he's got to keep the mustache because um, if he didn't have the mustache, he'd just be fighting a constant battle. It'd be like if he had a huge bamboo forest in his uh, it is in, in his backyard. You know, <laughs> like at some point you just kind of have to get pandas, or else you aren't gonna you you, you aren't gonna be able to beat the bamboo on your own. <laughs> so Sarah's distracted and Doctor Strange is like what's going on and she's of course like hey like you know Wong really left me hanging like we kind of have spent the last 20 issues with our relationships sort of growing especially when you were all booty blind from Clea leaving we really became buddies and um, you know he's been weird to me ever since those Tibetan monk guys came to find that reincarnated llama guy from that golf course like they apparently um told him something and then he really soured on me and you know he said he was promised to another but he never got the whole story but i never got the whole story and what's up with that you know so wong comes in and basically lays out the wong and gives us the whole wong backstory which i always appreciate it's a story that's not told at all all, really all that yeah so wong you know, his dad is Hamir the Hermit, who is the, I mean, the equivalent of Wong to the Ancient One, essentially. Um, we learn that basically a marriage pact was made by Wong, but like, like when Wong was maybe like 10, and this couple had sort of just gotten married, that he would marry uh, their daughter if they had one, like in the future. So the big thing we've learned is that They've had a daughter, and now Wong is engaged. Oh. Possibly to a baby. I don't know. That's weird. <laughs> but definitely someone he's never met. Definitely someone who he's been theoretically engaged to since he was 10 years old. When his bride comes of age, they'll get married. And Sarah Wolf is like, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> like, you can't seriously be going through with this. That sounds weird and gross, and I don't know. And he sh- she tries to get Doctor Strange to back him up. And Doctor Strange is like, I can't, you know, 
that's his customs. Like I can't very well like poo poo like uh be against them as they've given me so much power, but also like you know you got to respect people's like marriage customs and things like that, even if they seem weird to us as yeah, Americans. Yeah. Um, Sarah doesn't believe this, and that like the guy she likes is married is uh, engaged in a really weird way. So she kind of runs off like crying, basically. And Wong's super bummed. Doctor Strange is bummed for him. It's like big bummer time in the Sanctum Sanctorum tonight. Uh... <laughs> Meanwhile, in the ruins of <laughs> the uh, of the uh, Reed and Sue Richards house in Connecticut, like yeah. Some kids are playing marbles, which that doesn't sound right in 1986. I don't know, but no. they're playing marbles like it's Mayberry, and the being that we saw when Mephisto died, the uh, the Ash and Rock monster, like punches her way out of the rubble of the house and just starts basically wandering the streets, causing mayhem. Uh, sort of threatens the kids and uh, makes a and causes a car crash and. Doctor Doctor Strange gets a uh, gets a mystic signal that something's weirds going on, so he decides to put on the cloak of levitation and fly out and see what's going on. Listen, dude, I, I know that whenever I crawl my way out of hell, I have to cause mayhem. It's just kind of required. Man, I cause mayhem no matter what. I don't need a reason. <laughs> mayhem is reason enough, you know. Yeah. So Doctor Strange tracks the being to a Seven Eleven. That's. As a delivery guy from Potts Bakery, Potts is the editor of Doctor Strange. I see your Easter eggs here, buddy. Um, the uh, Ash and Rock monster just attacks the bakery delivery guy and starts rampaging through the 7-Eleven. Um, the 7-Eleven owner shoots it in the back and it has no effect. It's bad times generally. Doctor Strange has finally managed to fly to Connecticut, so he's trying to help out. A guy in a, who's who's uh, watering his backyard sprays water at the being, which seems to like <laughs> stun it or make it uh, melt or get weird, basically. So, Doctor Strange uses the winds of Watum to blow the being into a nearby municipal pool, where she basically oh. explodes like a combination of like an Alka-Seltzer tablet and like a Mento and a big pool full of diet of diet coke oh man that that pool that, those filters in that pool are going to take forever to get cleaned out i would i would say uh you're going to want to just drain that pool buddy <laughs> this yeah. this is a lost cause but luckily underneath all that like ash and rock and stuff is like a naked blonde lady which is always a good time oh, um yeah dr strange carries her back to the sanctum sanctorum puts her in a nightgown i guess and she sort of eventually kind of comes to she starts talking, and Doctor Strange sort of introduces himself and is like, do you remember what happened to you? And she says her name is Topaz. That's the only name she's ever known. Um, she's had some... She like says, like, I don't know where I am. And Doctor Strange says, yeah, you're going to have some problems. For instance, you've got crazy uh, white... I, um, like iris and pupilless eyes, and it's because you half your soul is still missing. Dun dun dun! You huh. know, af after you escaped from hell, you left some of your soul be soul behind. It's rough. Oh, dang! And this lady, you know, whenever, whenever I escape from hell, I usually make sure that I have my entire soul with me. It's definitely something you want. You know, you want to check your wallet. You want to check your soul as you leave um, hell. Yeah, yeah, uh, th totally. <laughs> this lady Topaz is was a uh, a, a uh, supporting character in the seventies sci-fi comic. Or not, uh, 70 Supernatural comic Werewolf by Night. And she's, you know, she's a blonde lady. She's soulless. She's going to be with us for the next couple years in Doctor Strange. Get ready. All right. More, more next week. And that's the end of our comics for this week, Drew. Oh, yeah. All right. Man, that assault on, um, on the Dark Dimension was really neat. Like, it was pretty cool. I, I'm... Enjoying seeing Umar get what's coming to her. Yeah, man. Umar gets taken down. There's some neat stuff about sort of the history and the sort of the reality of what it's like to be in the Dark Dimension, which I think we have previously been very light on. Like what yeah, it needs it to was, be in charge of the Dark Dimension and stuff. It, it was it was neat to see like, you know, the actual residential areas of the Dark Dimension and not just like the, yeah. the mindless ones quarantine pen. Exactly. Um, 
and you know and it's just really you know it's it's sad to see roger stern go he's was a really good dr strange writer like i said mm. previously like his work with just making some of these side characters dr strange side characters like clea and wong sort of be more fully realized actual characters and stuff is really valuable i think right like you know having clea just kind of go from sort of a hostage or the person who Dr. Strange can't explain things to before he leaves her behind to sort of fix the problem to sort of a full-fledged character with wants and motivations of her own and eventually coming into her own as like a ruler and stuff I think is very neat. Yeah. And you know, yeah. We'll have some more stuff with this coming up. More Dr. Strange stuff, basically. (laughs) Um... Until then, if you'd like to contact the podcast, I'd love to hear from you. You can send me an email at strangerbythedozen at gmail.com or interact with the show on Facebook or Instagram uh, at strangerbythedozen and then find us on Twitter at strangerbythetwelve or on our podcast site at cradline.com. During the week, I'll post a bunch of images from this issue from these issues, so keep an eye out. Stranger by the Dozen is on iTunes, Stitcher, the Google Play Store, and any other podcatching app. Tune in next week as we go in-depth in just one single comic. It's the Marvel graphic novel, Doctor Strange Into Shambhala. Prepare to learn some ancient secrets, see how close we come to the end of all existence, and just some general bets and some, some awesome background stories of Doctor Strange. Shambhala, it's not just a Wi-Fi password. (laughs) (laughs) until then faithful listener i say the crowds gather in the courtyard of sovereignty faces turned upward for the first time in hope and happiness and a name eagerly springs to each being's lips for the dark dimension has been liberated from tyranny and has a new ruler at the balcony she stands head wreathed in the mystic flames of regency she is clea daughter of Orini and Umar, bringer of light. My name is Conrad, and for my co-host Drew, this is Stranger by the Dozen. May the Vishanti guide your path. <laughs>